Good, good morning. Good morning. It is a privilege to be with you guys today. It's so good to worship together in person. I'll have to say uh, the things we take for we used to take for granted. And it's also a, a sweet joy to recognize a few old friends and faces, uh, some of you, and it's just good to be here. Glad to join you. Our passage today comes from Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You know, these last 14, 15 months no need to explain, have been extraordinarily challenging. But I am so excited and eager to move toward a post-pandemic world. This Tuesday, I'm sure you're all aware, June 15th, California officially is fully reopens its economy. Uh, I suspect that a lot of us have plans this summer, perhaps, to go visit family and friends that we haven't seen in probably well over a year and a half. Uh, we're looking forward to travel, having friends over for meals, worshiping without the masks. Like, what an exciting world. So much to look forward to. And though things, I'm going to say, are a lot better than they used to be, we're still in the in-between. We're not, it's not yet June 15th, and even when we get to June 15th, it's not like things are just going to all of a sudden get back, right? It's going to take some time for people to feel comfortable in various situations. It's going to take some time before we reach herd immunity. And there are still various hotspots around the world where COVID and variants are, are a crisis, and they threaten spreading to other parts of the world. We struggle with the reality that today, we're not yet free. We're still waiting for what is yet to come. We're not there yet. And I would like to suggest, I think this is a great metaphor for us as believers, that we live in the in-between. We have a glorious future, a wonderful hope, but today... Well, today we struggle. We're not there yet. We're in the in-between. So what do we do in this season of being in the in-between, in the struggle, when we're still wrestling with hardships and troubles? When, and it's not just that life has been hard, but what, what do we do when, when we've been wronged? 
when we've been sinned against. Our passage today tells a story of a powerless victim, a widow. Apparently, she has suffered injustice from her adversary. There's no one to help her. She goes to the court system, which is unusual because in those days, women wouldn't go to court. Men go to court unless there is no man, which presumably was the situation here. She's a widow. She has no advocate. Well, she goes to court, court where the justice system is protected and administered and exercised and upheld. But unfortunately, in this court, the judge says, neither feared God nor respected man. He didn't care. He didn't care. In a shame honor culture, sometimes people would try to do what was honorable, if for no other reason than just to look respectable. But this guy didn't care. And the implication was that he's corrupt, that perhaps he could be persuaded to give justice uh, with a little bribe. You know, he can make things happen. But presumably this widow had no money. She was poor. She was powerless. What was she to do? Who would help her? Where is she going to go? She went to the justice system, right? She went to the courts. Where, what is she supposed to do now? She's in a desperate situation, and unfortunately, that is often how it goes, that the poor and the powerless don't always have access or the resources to pursue justice. And even when they do, sometimes the justice system is not always so just. And yet, by the end of our story, the unjust judge, he gives in. Not because he cares about her, not because he cares about justice. <laughs> he, it says he just doesn't want to be bothered anymore. He doesn't want to, quote, be beaten down by her continual coming. The parable speaks to the power of persistence. That despite all of her disadvantages... All of her weaknesses, she gets the justice she sought. And the implicit argument of the parable is, how much more? How much more will God hear the prayers of his people? If an unjust judge, when faced with the persistent cries of a widow, who he doesn't even care about, eventually grants justice, how much more Will a righteous God, a just God, when faced with the persistent cries of his chosen and beloved children, respond? Respond with justice and respond quickly. You see, if persistence is effective with an unjust judge, how much more will it be effective with a loving and righteous God? You see, the parable is trying to persuade us. It's trying to assure us that God hears our prayers. I think that's pretty clear, actually. Jesus says so much in verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, that we're to be persistent. We're not to give up. We're to be reassured that God hears, God cares, God will respond. It's very similar to another parable Jesus gave in Luke 18, where he tells the story of a, 
a guy going to his neighbor in the middle of the night, waking him up, saying, hey, I have an unexpected visitor and I have no food. Please let me borrow some food so I can host my guest. And the neighbor, even if he won't do it out of the friendship or the relationship, eventually he'll do it because of the persistence so he can just go back to bed with his kids. And Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, and keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Perhaps for some of us, prayer has felt a bit futile. I don't know how, these, how the pandemic season has been. My guess is we've all had a few more things to pray about. But for some of us, we've been praying for things long before the pandemic. We've struggled with various sins in our lives, where there's healing that we so desire. There's a dream that we want so much to come true. We have our families. We have our children. We have loved ones. We pray for the salvation of our loved ones. Perhaps you've been praying for many, many years. We are encouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. God hears. Press on. It is good for us to be persistent in our prayers. But I want to suggest, actually, I think in this passage, Jesus is saying something a little more specific. There's more going on here. Notice what is being given. Verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect? Verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. You see, the picture is to God's people who have been treated unjustly, to God's people who have suffered hostility and rejection and persecution, God will grant them justice. We also notice uh, the context of this parable at the end of Luke 17, Jesus talks about his return and how we don't know when he'll come back. It'll be a surprise. No one, completely unexpected. And then notice at the end of this parable, verse 8, we read, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The context of the parable on the front and back end concern the Lord's second coming. And I think these two things are woven together, that God will grant justice. God will vindicate and deliver his people at Jesus' return. That when he comes back, he will make all things right. He will make all things new. He will wipe every tear. He will establish perfect justice, perfect shalom. All will be healed and restored. That the prayer for justice and deliverance is tied to Jesus' return. I think the parable is teaching us to pray persistently for Jesus' return. Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Jesus taught so many parables and teachings concerning his return, that we're to be vigilant and prepared. The parable of the ten virgins says that we're not just to be prepared for his return, we are to be prepared to stay prepared for a long time for his return. 
Philippians 3 reminds us our citizenship is in heaven where we await our Savior. Romans 8, we long for our future glory that far outweighs our present suffering. Second Peter warns of scoffers who will say, where's his return? Things continue as they've always been. We are warned against doubting and those who might cause us to doubt his return. And then the New Testament concludes with Jesus saying, surely I am coming soon. And John responds, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. One scholar estimated that in the Old Testament, there are over 1,800 references to Jesus's second coming. In the New Testament, over 300 references to Jesus's second coming, meaning in the New Testament, about one out of every 30 verses concern the Lord's return. For every prophecy about Jesus's first advent, there are eight, eight times as many prophecies concerning his second advent. There is a strong future orientation to scripture. And I wonder if Christians at other times and in other places, Christians who've suffered, who've been oppressed, who've been treated unjustly, I wonder if they get it, right? They just, they, they look to, long for, and pray for his return because they're not putting their hope in this world. They're not expecting life here and now, to work out so nicely for them. They know that this life has more hardships than they can even endure. Their hope, their longing, are for what is yet to come, that we have a greater citizenship, an eternal home, a secured destiny. And I would like to suggest that this is probably an adjustment for us. That we, I, we expect too much from this world and not enough from the world to come. We have put our hope in the wrong place. We expect too much from this world and not enough from the world to come. And we need to shift our focus to shift what we're hoping for. What is a parable teaching us? A parable is teaching us to pray. It's teaching us to pray persistently. It's teaching us to pray persistently for the Lord's return. Jesus says, crying out day and night. William Taylor is a Scottish preacher of the 19th century. In his sermon on this passage, he writes, we should not allow any influence, however depressing, or any delay, however long, to keep us from continuing to pray for the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I have to confess, it's not something I pray for much, let alone pray persistently for, crying out day and night. I mean, to be honest, I... A lot of times I don't even think about it. But I think God's word is telling us today that we are to prepare for, 
long for, pray for Jesus' return because that's when we will see justice, deliverance, healing, peace. That's when we'll be home. That's when we'll be home, a home that he has been, been, been preparing for us, that we are to join in the prayer that John says, oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come, come, Lord Jesus, come. See, it's been a difficult year, what, six, 15 months or so, in the midst of so much brokenness around the coronavirus, around race, around politics. What are we supposed to do in this in-between? What are we supposed to do when we have suffered for his sake? When we have borne the costs of following Jesus. What are we to do? We are to put our hope in the Lord's return. And I think hope, hope is powerful. Hope is powerful. So a little while ago, when I got my first vaccine shot, I don't know, I was so excited. <laughs> I had to wait in this long line, it took forever, but I was so excited. I, I was not feeling well and whatever, whatever. But you see, externally, nothing really changed immediately. I mean, life, we're still in the pandemic. I wasn't fully immunized yet, and I've just gotten the shot. I mean, I wasn't protected yet, and in fact, I was feeling worse. But I felt stronger. <laughs> I felt hope. I felt lighter. I felt energized. I felt that I could face the pandemic world of today a little differently. It is the power of hope. And for us as believers, we have a greater hope than vaccines, greater hope than herd immunity, greater hope than any. We have a greater salvation. And if we could feel that we got the first shot, we have the first vaccine. And we're in the in-between. And soon and very soon, soon and very soon, we look forward not just to a post-pandemic world. That is too small, my friends. You have far more ahead waiting for you. And to have this hope, it changes how we experience the struggle of today. The struggles are still there. Life is still hard. We're in the in-between. But having that hope gives us security and freedom. It can change how we experience the struggles of our day. You see, if this world is all you have, then every threat every loss, you have to take that seriously, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, every threat, every loss, that's a big deal. You have to take it seriously because this is all you have. That's it. This is all you have. 
It's another sermon, but let me just briefly say, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes says, and this, all that we have, this, this is vapor. This is vanity. This is meaninglessness. That the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is to recognize the futility of all of this worldly stuff. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes is teaching us to not expect this world to be more than it is. But if we have a future hope, then we don't have to hold on to this so tightly. The threats, the losses, they still hurt. They still hurt, but they are not so crippling. We are not devastated. The damage is not so severe because we can loosen our grip on these things as we cling more tightly to a secure and glorious tomorrow. We can expect less from this life and more from the life to come. And I would suggest that that doesn't mean we become passive and disengaged with this world, right? It doesn't mean we're just waiting for his return and, you know, not care about our present situation. No, it is good and right for us to steward the influence that we have to serve and love our broken world here and now. And my suggestion is this hope, instead of causing us to disengage, it gives us the freedom, the willingness to risk, the willingness to engage and sacrifice in this world. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. There's a story of a missionary who was once asked, so what's Jesus going to shout? First Thessalonians says that when he descends, he will come with a loud command. What's he going to say? And the missionary paused for a moment and was going to kind of give this vague non-answer. You know, scripture doesn't tell us, so we don't really know. Blah, blah. But as he hesitated, he thought that morning of a war refugee he had just spoken with, who told him the story of how soldiers had captured him and described to him how they would torture and kill him. And somehow this guy narrowly escaped, found his family, and fled. But along the way, he lost two of his children. And as the missionary was thinking of that, he was also then reminded of the beggars that he saw every day, their vacant eyes, how it seemed that poverty had robbed them of their humanity. And as he thought about the cruelty of war and the destruction of poverty, he said, enough, enough. Jesus is going to say, that's it. No more. Enough. Enough. Enough suffering. Enough starvation. Enough terror. Indignity. Homelessness. Sickness. Disease. Death. Hopelessness. Enough. enough. One day, God is going to say, that's enough. 
and he will come back to make all things right. I remember a particular season um, that was really dark and hard. Uh, I remember shedding a lot of tears. It was just one of those dark valleys. And I was reading Revelation, and I came to the end, and the prayer, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. I remember that was just so powerful because it gave me a way to redirect my pain toward a longing for Jesus. I remember saying just, oh, Jesus, would you come? Would you come and bring healing? Would you come and stop the pain? Would you come and wipe away our tears? Oh, God, please. Please clean up this mess. Please make things right. Oh, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, before we end, I want to ask one more question. What is the role of prayer? Meaning, is it because we pray that Jesus will return? Or because we pray persistently, he'll return? Like if we don't pray persistently enough, he won't come back? Like, is that how it works? That doesn't quite seem right, because is why is Jesus teaching us to pray persistently for his return? Well, let's reconsider. Like the judge, God hears the persistent prayers of his people. But we mentioned there are some pretty big differences. There's a big how much more factor going on. God isn't like an unjust judge. <laughs> he is a just, righteous, good, loving, heavenly father. Luke 11 says, even imperfect fathers, even imperfect fathers like myself, as much as I want to bless my kids, how much more your heavenly father wants to give good gifts to his children? And we are not widows. We are the chosen, adopted, beloved sons and daughters with privileged access to our Heavenly Father. See, the parable is not suggesting that we better get on our knees and grovel like that widow to an unjust judge. That is not our situation, right? We don't have to beg and badger, and nag, and try to convince a reluctant, recalcitrant judge, our prayers will be answered on the basis of God's goodness, not on the basis of our persistence. Our prayers will be answered because he is good, 
not because we are persistent. So, why is Jesus teaching us to pray persistently for his return? Well, as we mentioned, the context of this teaching is about the Lord's second coming. We don't know when that's going to happen. It'll be a complete surprise. And the implication is there may be a delay. And we now know there is a long delay. And in this delay, God's people continue to suffer injustice and hardships. So what are we to do? We're not to be discouraged. We're not to give up hope. We're not to lose heart. You see, I think this parable is teaching us how we as God's people ought to respond to this prolonged delay season of injustice and suffering. What are we to do? We are to put our hope in the Lord's Return. You see, I think Jesus teaches us to pray persistently for his return, not so much to convince him, but to convince us. Not to move his heart, but to move our hearts that we would cling to, long for, hope for, believe in, pray for his return when he will come to make all things right, that he's a good and loving father who is eager to bring justice and healing and blessing and redemption. See, that's why I think at the end of the parable, Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find a people who believe, hope, long, and pray for his return? Or are we too busy putting our hope in this life. Let me add, I think persistent prayer is both an expression of that faith and that persistent prayer nurtures that faith. It did for me that in that time of struggle and hardship to say, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. It redirected. It gave me a way to take my pain and turn it into longing. Turn it into trust. Turn it into hope that he will come, wipe every tear, and make things right. And that hope helps us endure the struggles and the hardships of this prolonged season of delay. Well, passages like this are not meant to be analyzed and dissected and discussed. Jesus gave this that we might pray. So shall we? Shall we? I'd invite you to consider for a few moments some of the struggles that you've faced, especially during this pandemic. The struggles external, internal, Maybe the stresses you've borne, the threats you've felt, the desires and temptations you've battled. Would you consider some of the brokenness of our world, some of the injustices you see 
the needs and the suffering of so many in this pandemic. Consider also your costs of following Jesus. Maybe some of the injustices you've suffered for his name's sake. In that context, we pray. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, come and bring deliverance and justice and healing. Oh, come, please, Lord, would you wipe our tears? Would you make all things new? Would you consummate your victory over sin, over death? Lord, would you show your glory? May you bring full shalom that we might enjoy perfect, glorious rest in you. Come, Jesus, come and let us join the heavenly assembly of angels and cherubim and people from every tribe and nation gathered saying, worthy, worthy is the Lamb, worthy to receive glory and honor and power forever and ever and ever, because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, for your name's sake and for the healing of your people. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, please come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.